Hi, John. Oh, hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh, <clears throat> fine. How are <clears throat> you going? I'm great. I'm great. Really? I'm great. You know, I'm always doing projects. Uh, I do know that. What uh, what are you working on? Oh, boy. Uh, oh, yeah. Big, big projects right now. Um, uh, I've returned to my energy project, trying to get my energy straightened out. <clears throat> I'm also spending a lot of time with bins and bin systems. I'm doing uh -huh. a lot of binning. Um, uh -huh. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to take my, uh, my MacBook Pro that bricked uh, to, to the Apple store today. There's all of that, you know. Uh, but, you know, I, I complain, but who'd listen? Actually, things are going fine. Mm. I'm here to listen. Okay. Well, you know, you've moved in life. Yes. A phenomenon, I can't put an exact year on this, but certainly by the time I was moving five times a year in college, but before that, there's this funny Zeno's paradox to moving. Can you explain Zeno's paradox just real quick? Yeah. Uh, Zeno, one is the, the one that, like, how can an arrow be in this place and not in this place in motion? But the famous one is if you stand, let's say, one giant size footstep from a wall, and then you take a half a step toward the wall, you're now much closer than you were before. Correct. All right. And I know this is not for you. This is for the listeners because you're a learned man of the mm. liberal arts. Mm -hmm. you, you participated in the history of ideas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, was a, I was a participant. Now you, you say, okay, that's good. I'm almost done. I'm almost okay. at the wall. Okay. You yeah, take, sure. You're halfway there. You take another half step toward the wall and you're certainly closer. You're halfway you, you there. You know how this story ends. It's infinite yeah. recursion or something. Yeah, sure. Infinite. It's turtles all the way down. Yep. 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 Turtles are standing on elephants, you know, but the, uh -huh. uh, but, but I, I found that to be true in moving. We're like, you know, I think, especially if you're getting some help, whether that's from your friends or, or professionals, like, oh, we've moved the bed, we've moved the couch, that's all out. And like, you're the first giant half step toward the wall title mm. is that all the big stuff is gone. And you're like, hey, I'm just about done here. But mm -hmm. boy, are you never not done? Because then your next half step could be stuff like, oh, get the books off the shelves. Yeah. That's not that hard. Oh, good, fill up boxes. Good tip here that I learned in one of my moves was, um, I don't know if you can still do this time was you could go to liquor stores and get the liquor, uh, uh boxes and a liquor box. Whoa. Huh? Liquor box. Okay. You poker in the front liquor uh -huh. in the rear. <laughs> and you, uh, I, I once knew a man that had that on a shirt, paid to have it on a shirt, but uh, you, um, but your next big half step, what they say is they say, uh, you know, the problem is people put too many heavy books in big boxes. That's no good. A liquor a liquor uh -huh. box sized box. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not judging and I'm certainly no, no, not no. being ableist. No. I just want people to be happy. Never That's eat. a good sized box. Now, why am I saying all this? So who knows? But the, the steps towards the wall, eventually though, you're getting into like, oh, then there's the kitchen and the kitchen, you got to deal with all the stuff in the drawers and that's got to go somewhere. And eventually you feel like you're losing your goddamn mind because you keep taking half steps toward the wall. Well, now wait, will liquor boxes work in the kitchen too? Oh, yeah. Just, okay. All right. I mean, I think one benefit of, and one reason my bin system is, is so uh, intoxicating is that I've gone from putting tons of crap in what I will call a big box to putting little bits of well-organized things into a small box or, or bin. So yeah. if I have a big a banker's box in my case, first of all, having boxes that are the same size of whatever it is you're binning is useful. For yes. purposes like stacking on a moving truck or whatever. What I'm trying to say is I am I'm finally I'm so reluctant to use this phrase because it's so abused 
and I've been so hectic about browbeating people who use it incorrectly, but I'm actually getting organized. Uh-oh. And that involves a lot of half steps where it feels like you're getting closer to the wall, but you're really just taking smaller and smaller steps. Not that that's bad, but it's one thing to say, like, so the equivalent of that, you know, in terms of like, you think about how you move a house, you move the bed and the, the big stuff, the bureau, all that stuff. Well, that's like getting garbage out of your place. Mm. Garbage, you can mostly tell is garbage. Mm-hmm. And then at the way, way, way at the other end of that, when you're done with a million half steps, you've got all of your certain like quarter inch mounts, your, your hot shoes, all the uh, things that you need. <laughs> uh-huh. I think I'm turning into a Van Halen song. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash supertrain. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything you want, your products, the content you create, even your own time. Listen, if you're in the business of, of making stuff, brother, you really need to get you some, uh, get you some Squarespace. I, I've been with Squarespace since Christ was a corporal, and I've never looked back. You're using Squarespace, in fact, right now, you know, because the Roderick on the Line podcast is and has always been hosted there. But let's talk about you for a minute. How about this? Uh, you remember blogs? Does anybody remember laughter? Well, not a problem. You can create a community on your Squarespace website with a fully integrated commenting system to support threaded comments, replies, and likes. And you can use their powerful blogging tools to categorize, share, and schedule your posts as well. Boy, this stuff has come a long way. One of my favorite things is that all Squarespace sites are optimized automatically for mobile. And that means that your content is going to adjust to look great on every device or dingus. They take care of all of that for you. But let's say you want to go further. I want to save some time on uh, cross-posting. Well, you can. It's built right in. Squarespace can auto-post your content to Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook, personal or brand pages, you name it. All post entries and images are optimized and tagged. So descriptions and titles will be correct wherever you are posting. It's such a great service. They've been so good to me. They've been good to us. And I, you know, I, I feel very confident saying they're going to be good to you. So please, right now, you go to squarespace.com slash supertrain, get you a free trial. Okay. When you're ready to launch, use our very special offer code supertrain, because that is going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. One more time, squarespace.com slash supertrain. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. <laughs> In a little bin box. Uh, but, but you know, the thing is, the in-between part is also where there's difficulty. Because the in-between part is where you have to realize, and forgive me for, again, quoting myself, you should never organize anything that should actually be discarded. If you're just moving stuff to a nicer box, you're not getting organized you are inhabiting a personality disorder. So that's what I've been doing for the last few weeks is, ooh, cool, cool. Oh, remind me to talk to you about crows. I'm gonna write this down. Okay. I have some, I have some crow observations I wanna share. I keep forgetting to tell you. Um, okay. Anyway, and it's great, it's great. So I'm really in on this, like I'm, I'm really gay bones for this, uh, this company, Aiken Mills. They make, if you've ever seen like a, like, like a, you know, one of those little plastic bins, they're stackable, they use I've them a lot. Yeah, yeah, the, you, I, I noticed one in uh, the TV series The Dropout when they're faking uh-huh. their Theranos tests. But those bins, you can get them in all different sizes. You can get racks, 
So you can stack them or you can hang them off the wall. You can rack them. You can stack them. You, you can, can hang them off the wall. St- it's exactly right. Uh, crispy, crunchy nougat. You what do are they called? And so cool. that's been what, great. What, what's their name? Let me look them up. I want to look at it. Oh, them. yeah. Search for, uh, it's A-K-I-N, A-K-I-N space Mills. And they have a, a pretty good website. Aiken, I think it's Mills with. Aiken. I like looking at boxes, as you know. Oh, dude. This oh, stuff. Wait, the I, first one that comes up is Rebecca Aiken at Mills College. Oh, I see that. Maybe it's L with. Uh, Aiken one Mills L. is a software program. That's a great try, name for try, a programmer. Uh, try, uh, 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 so try Acro Mills. A-K-R-O dash Mills. Ac- they really could make this easier to find. Acro Mills. Yeah. And, and Oh, no, I went Akiro Mills, and now I've got a bunch of motorcycles. Oh, but these things are great, and I won't get into the whole thing, because I have a whole Velt and Shong that I'm working on right now. But it's really, it's turning out to be really good. And the irony of the bin system versus the boxes of crap system is oh. that it becomes very obvious very quickly what it is that you have that's not where it should be. So you can use these little bins. Like in my case, I got one bin right here. That's just cables that don't belong where they are. I've got another, I have a box called adhesion, John. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how many of these bins are like cables that don't belong where they are, where they're liminal bins, where it's a bin that's part of a process. I'm so glad you asked me that. And you're going to be so sorry that you asked me that. Uh, So like right behind me, I have a little rack just a little bit off the floor, I could put in my big bins, I could put in my little bins. Throughout the day, this gives me this Kanban-like ability to sweep a bunch of stuff into a bin, and then before I go home, I repatriate things to where they actually belong. Dry erase markers go here. Uh, Ethernet cables go there. Any of that stuff, because otherwise it makes a pile, and a pile becomes an affliction. Are the bins... Uh, I'm, I'm, I know the answer already, Please. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it. How is color coding uh, factoring? Uh, right now, not at all. Oh, okay. Um, but so like, yellow bins aren't bins to go to a certain place, whereas blue bins no, go to a No, that's a really place. good point. I learned about these from my friend Alex. And when they were the tech wrangling czar at their previous job, they learned about these wonderful bins. And like it became this way of like, you could actually say to people like on the phone, oh, if you need a new charging cable for your MacBook Pro, like find out which one it is, which one you have, and then go into the supply closet and in the bin labeled XYZ, you can grab one of those and just sign it out. So uh-huh. like, so color, the color coding is good, but the problem is for, for, for a fellow like me, who's still taking baby steps with actually literally getting organized, I do, I like the sameness of the, of the bins being just the same color. What color but have you chosen? Mostly, mostly clear or, or black. I like clear, yeah. Clear is definitely the best, in my opinion. Now, here's what's neat about that. And, and so, look, I had, a, I had a real good pal. Hi, Chris. Chris Coldren, good pal of mine, one of my most influential friends in college. Hi, Chris. He used, he used to, hi, Chris. He used to take on personal experiments. And, and he was very inspirational to me in his personal experiments. And one time, he decided he'd stayed and got a job uh, on campus. You get a free room, and then you just paint all day, like one of those pretty mellow summer jobs. But you Uh-oh. get a free room. And he said, I want everything I own to be visible. Wait, you mean you paint like for the school? Like you paint yes, walls? Yes, you go oh, through okay. all the, the pay dorms uh, okay. and, and you, you do uh, every room at New College in the pay dorms is identical, 15 by 15. And uh, anyway, you go and you paint those. But anyway, Chris says, I want to be able to stand in the middle of this dorm room, you know, and I want to be able to uh-huh. turn around 360 and I don't want anything I own to not be visible. 
Wow. So no, no box under the bed. No, but this Nothing is in a drawer. Well, but like so, well, here's the thing. Like so many of the things that inspire me, it's got two parts. Cause like the first part is, oh, that's kind of cool. Like in my case, I got really addicted to hooks, which, you know, people like wives love. Um, but, but, but I, all my clothes were on hooks. All of my shirts were on hooks. I could see all of my shirts. I was inspired by Chris. So part one is, yeah, you're organized, but, but part B that I think is the really invigorating part is, oh yeah, for this to work, you need to get rid of a lot of shit. You're not allowed yeah. to have a personal library vault of stuff that's in a box, under a box, under a box, under a box. Right. And if I do that with all of my mounting stuff for cameras and microphones and that kind of stuff, which I end up using a lot more than a normal person would, having those all in bins that I can just kind of look at. I don't have to open a lid. It's all mm -hmm. there. But right. see, this is the glorious cycle, John, is that by I use the bins for collecting junk that needs to go somewhere else. I use the bins for provisionally sort of organizing roughly. But at any point, I can throw everything out of the bin, put it into two smaller bins, one bigger bin, whatever it is. It sounds mental, but I really, I'm very attracted to this idea of uh, I could, I could see it's very satisfying visually and, uh, from an organizational standpoint, did you have any questions at this point? Yeah. What do you do <clears throat> with things that you might need one day mm -hmm. or things that like, like a power brick or like, you're not sure, like you're not sure what this thing is for, there you but go. it feels right? important kind of yeah, stuff. Like right? if you get rid of this, you're going to go looking for it, but you're not sure what it is exactly. Or one day you might need this, but not today or any time in recent memory. Right. Or did this fall off of something? I, I know. feel like it did. And if I throw it away, then I'm going to have a thing that has only three and needs the fourth one. I know. But like, like casters or wheels mm -hmm. or anything like that. Or again, mounting is a big part of my life. I have a lot of mounting in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my liquor boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, first you go to the liquor box and then you're allowed to mount. But, um, mm -hmm. It's, um, what do you do with that? Well, there's a couple ways to do it. One way to do it is a trick I learned about, I want to say from Martha Stewart magazine 15 years ago. Did you subscribe or was it a thing you got in an airport? Sometimes uh, my lady friend used to enjoy magazines. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. She's kind of off too. it now, but, um, but what I learned and I've, I've taught my kids this, if you've got a bunch of stuff, this is, this is the real kind of like high level stuff, not high level, but you know, low level, I guess. But sure. like, if you got junk, not, not in your case, you've got cigar boxes full of valuable things, but let's say you've got a box you haven't opened since college, except f when you're looking for something, but you've never done anything with anything uh -huh. in that box. Uh huh. You tape it up. You could at the most basic level, write a date six months in the future. Um, you seal it up, give yourself a reminder. And if you haven't opened that box in six months, you just throw it away. Wow, wow. This is also what we do to clean out our junk drawers. The rule that I have uh, instantiated in our house is like the, the really good drawer that has the good utensils in it in the kitchen. I don't like getting stabbed by corn cob holders. I don't uh -huh. like getting stabbed by just junk that somebody used once and threw in there. You right. empty the entire drawer into a box and nothing's allowed to live in that drawer again until you've used it twice. Whoa. Yeah. And then after a month or three months or whatever, you look at that box and you go, okay, well, I guess we might have fondue someday. So I guess that has to go somewhere. So that one thing is though, you do need to give yourself a fresh start. Just moving crap around doesn't help as much. Now to your, I think to the question that you're asking, I think power bricks are a good example of this. Power bricks or cables. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, there's only so many USB mini cables that a person needs. It's one of those kinds of cables that like comes with almost anything you buy and yeah. you end up accumulating. Like, I don't need 60 of those. If I had five of those, it would be too many. But those, for example, go into a Ziploc bag that says USB-A to USB mini, right? Whoa, okay. Yeah. Ziploc bags. And then I have one banker's box full of Ziploc bags because I'm tight like that. Yeah, but, you are. but to your question, I think one thing you can have is, and again, you've given me so many opportunities to quote myself, mm -hmm. the place where you store something should almost always be the first place you just looked for it. So if you, if you can't find something, and to that point, if you can't find it on the reg, well, where's the first place you looked? Well, that's where your brain thinks it goes. So if it's at all permissible, especially if you're single and live alone, you can totally do this. And I think that kind of intuitive, like listening to your own brain solution mm. is what you're mm. looking for here. Mm. And specifically though, like I've got one banker's box uh, of, of stuff that I don't need right this second, but I know I'm going to need. And it's stuff that's mostly related to power. So if I found some loose, weird USB dingus for plugging a USB and turning it into a, a cable, a, you know, power cord, I don't need that right now, but I know if I ever do, I just go to the banker's box that has the power stuff in it. Wow. I love It's such a sim simple way of putting it that it should be where you first look for it. Right. Because you think it feels like it should go like where you arbitrarily decided a long time that it ago that it goes. Yeah. But like you, I, I mean, think I go through this, well, it's not just Madeline, it's me too. Like if you put your phone down somewhere weird in the house, like. Yeah, you can find it. Like you can have it beep and stuff like that. But ideally, you just don't put your phone down in weird places. Now, do you not put your phone down in weird places? Very rarely. I try not uh, to put down anything valuable any place I wouldn't want it to be overnight. Okay, but I mean, but, if yeah, I'm, that's why keys, keys always go in a bowl. Belt well, always goes here. Like there's certain kinds of things that I've I've known since first grade. I've got to, I've got to try and help my, as Dave Grohl says, my my poor brain. You know, I, I've mm. got to have some compensatory muscles. Keys always go here. Do not touch my keys. They keys go here. go here. I get that. But like, sometimes I'll be walking down the hall looking yep. at the phone and then I'll say, Hey, you've got 15 minutes to be somewhere and you need to do three things. What you don't need is your friend, the phone yeah. right now. And so I will put <laughs> you, it. You definitely don't need that. If you got 15 minutes, no, you got 15 minutes. You, you know, so. Time to go into a different mode, put your phone down and do the three things, right? Tie your shoes, brush teeth. And I put the phone down in a place that's handy, that seems logical right there. And yep. then, then 10 minutes later, it's like, where did I put it? And you don't do that. Do you do that? I, I well, I mean, if I'm being honest, I use my phone so much. It's almost always in my left pocket <clears throat> of my, pocket, whatever right. pants I'm wearing, but but it's but, you're, but what if you're naked mm -hmm. when you say you've only got 15 minutes left? I don't go. think I've been naked since college. Oh, oh, that's but, a handy. No, yeah. I mean like you can get a bandolier like Chewbacca or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But no, no, no. I mean you, you got to do you. You got to do what makes sense. But I've just I feel like I've watched people observe people just really be up against it in terms of like why can I never find this thing? And yeah. it's just it sounds so it's so intuitive that it's almost stupid but like let's say you can't find the spare garage remote because you lo you've mis lost you've mislaid a garage remote prime well where's the first place you look for it oh in that bowl like where the keys are okay well then that's where that should live
unless unless somebody's got a better system, unless you're Chris Coldren and like you can put everything on a hook, but like you have to have some internal consistency. And and John, this is a w- one way that I do keep the demon dogs at bay, to be honest. Yeah. Do you ever have trouble flying stuff? <clears throat> well, I'm somebody whose mind does look for it the last, or does look for it the place that he looks for it. Mm-hmm. And it's usually there. And it's it would be unfindable by anybody else. You know, like uh, I'll say, oh, I haven't, I, I finally need that slide rule. I haven't seen it in nine months, but I bet you it's under that jacket on the, you know, uh, next to the piano in the stack of books about old Chevy trucks. And I go there and I lift up the jacket and there's the slide rule. It's like the way your passport calls out to you. Yeah, right. It's a kind of, it's a kind of, of four dimensions Mm -hmm. that I just sort of know. It's not that I, it's not that I I hear it calling. I have a mode. Yeah. And my, 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 my family can tell when I'm in the mode, which is like, I have my arms like sort of from the shoulder to the elbows are straight against my sides. Uh-huh. And then my, my, uh, from the elbow to the tips of my fingers, they're kind of in front of me. Like I'm walking like a robot or a oh, train. Oh, you're a robot mode. Yeah. Like a robot <laughs> train. And I go, um, you know, and I do, do my incantations. Like I got that, got that, not there, not there. And I walk That's around, true. but I keep my heart open to the call of the passport of whatever that thing is. And I think the arms might in particular be forming a rudimentary uh, uh, radar receiving dish. Yeah, they're an antenna. Absolutely. Doesn't it seem like it's sometimes, if I do that, I'm more likely to find it. I, I def- when I say it's four dimensions, it's there's definitely a time component because I will say, you know, scan quadrant of six months ago. Like, and almost, then, like, almost like ad hoc archaeology. Yeah, just like, okay, so anything that I have not, anything that I've touched in the last six months, it's not there because I would have seen it. So, and if you see stuff, you can pin to uh, something even as obvious as a holiday or like, oh, that's back when I was doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can go, okay, well, I know that that's too recent. I was over in this corner and then I was, and what, how would it have been with those? Oh, because I was using it to this. And I, I generally can find those things. The, mm-hmm. the, like, I just put my phone down on top of a, of a, of a stack of books. And then I moved a book on top of it. Exactly. That's, you know, like you're way, you're way ahead of me. Cause the only thing I was going to say is you, your system will tend to work if you are consistent, whatever that means to you. The problem is roommates, you oh. know, ha- housemates, family members, where if anybody could put uh, 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 God, right now it's catalog season. We get so many catalogs and like, they're just like magazines. They're as good as magazines, except you can buy things. Have you gotten a restoration hardware catalog recently? I went to, I went to great lengths to run away from restoration hardware catalogs. And I think I finally choked off the, the, uh, between them and Uline, the, the, uh, the, the right wing office supply company. I got, I got away from them too. Oh boy. That's a thick catalog. But let's say somebody just, when you walk in, you got groceries, you got perishables, you got to get the ice cream in the freezer. You set some stuff down. If that stuff got set down on top of your, obviously your phone would be one, but you know, your house keys, whatever it is. Well, now your whole house to, to paraphrase David Allen, your whole house is an inbox now. Like yeah. you're gonna have to go search your whole house because Restoration Hardware uh, stole stole your your uh, eye line to the keys. <laughs> yeah, 
I got a Patagonia catalog the other day, and I don't know why I've never ordered anything from Patagonia. But the entire That's thing, for people who work at Silicon Valley startups, is that right? Well, yeah, weird. And it was weirdly there; it didn't sell anything. It was an entire catalog, and it was just stories about people doing mountain things. <laughs> and I was like, at what point uh -huh. are you trying that to get a, sell that's, me a that's selling a magazine? Yeah, yeah, and it was. It was a magazine that looked like a catalog, not a catalog that looked like a magazine. No, Whoa. no, it was it was a magazine that looked like a catalog, looking like a magazine, but it was a magazine. Uh huh. And uh, and I actually read a couple of the articles. It's like, like it's like you know when it says on the box the Stouffer's, you know, it says serving suggestion because it doesn't come with Grandma's dish. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, except it's all serving suggestions all the way down. It's really yeah. about lifestyle. It's like REI. Let's be honest, most of us REI, not you, but me. Um, sure. REI or similar, maybe not REI could be, oh, what's that, uh, what's that weird clothing store? Eastern Mountain Sports. Well, there's that one place, uh, especially ladies clothes and, uh, they sell, um, sort of like urban outfitters where yep. it's like, oh, you're talking about, uh, 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 what's it called? Rejuvenation. Something no. like that. But it's like, we've got this kit bash look. You can buy this $700 medical cabinet that you probably definitely need for your house. And it already yes. looks a little bit beat up and maybe like it's been in a Benetton ad with, with a slender African woman or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. weird. You don't lose stuff a lot, though, it sounds like. Oh, but I mean, my problem is the other problem. Like, I, I have somewhere along the line, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a fan of the Juno 106 Roland synthesizer mm -hmm. uh, from the early 80s. I have a couple of them because I've come by them. Does the doctor? That's not the Dr. Dre one. Uh, no, it's okay. it's pre Dr. Dre one, but it's like you know you might have seen hmm. uh, you might have seen the Doctor in uh, Prince and the Revolution, the Doctor character. Oh, the surgeon. Yeah, uh, he might have had one. Definitely, Nick Rhodes had one. Oh, that is a sexy synthesizer. Yeah, it's very beautiful, and I have a I have a couple, and for, to me, they're worth more than gold. Right oh there, and this is, this is definitely. I mean, for obvious reasons, this is probably analog. Right, this is like pre DX seven. It's pre DX seven. <clears throat> it's a weird kind of in between analog and digital. So okay. there's pro pre programmed sounds, but the, all of the controls are are analog. Okay. <clears throat> um, but I at some point along the way, uh, came upon a outboard piece of kit. Like a, like a little, it's a programmer thing that you would have hooked up to the Juno 106. Hmm. It's like, like a like sideboard. A yeah. Yeah, it is. And you know, you hook it up through a 32 pin cable interface. And at some point back in 1984, this would have been like a dynamite piece of sequencing kit that For you playing could, live I mean, yeah you God. could record you could make loops or something with this additional piece of hardware now all of that stuff that this piece of hardware does you could do on your watch now <laughs> um it it's non-essential kit but it's super groovy mm -hmm. and i have it in a box now the the keyboard itself i pull out all the time and play but the little thing i'll never use i'll never use it not in a million years, and no one would because now you just play the Juno 106 into your computer, and then it's your just computer mostly, mostly a collector's curiosity for you. It's a curiosity, mm -hmm. but it's in a box, and it's not a small thing. Mm -hmm. It's a large thing, and it has all of the 29-pin cabling that goes with it. And so, for mm -hmm. the last 20 plus years, I have had this box, 
and it's in a fine shaped box. It's not a liquor box, mm-hmm. but it's, mm. it's a banker's box of its own. And in it has gone a couple of drum machines that, that have associated power bricks. Anyway, when you look at the box, there's a part of me that the 1984 in me <laughs> looks in the box and goes, wow, this is a, this is like a box full of gold bricks. And then any subsequent, anybody subsequent to 1993 looks in the box and goes, how is this, how do, is this stuff still in the yeah, world? Like, why, why do I still have an Atari 2600 and like a whole shoebox full of games and this little weird ball controller? Like I've got the paddles, I've got the joysticks, I've got it all. Do you have the I, adapter that could actually get it into a modern TV? No. Because it was daisy chain like four you adapters, put it, right? Usually, use time was, if memory serves, you'd hook it up to the antenna. Yeah. You usually yeah. get a switcher. Yeah. But like, I mean, I guess I could, but the truth is, if I wanted to play in a, if I wanted to play Moon Patrol. Sure. Which or you do. Pitfall or something. <laughs> there's a million ways you can, you can buy things probably at Best Buy that'll let you play that. There's something called MAME emulation where you can get the ROM for basically any video game that's ever existed and play it on a TV. Like, why do I keep all of that? It's because I can't bear to throw away. If I'm being honest, it's because I won an Atari 2600 so much when Mm. I was 14, and now I have one, and I'm (laughs) 55, (laughs) and it's in the garage, and sometimes I go and I look at it. Yeah. But isn't it, is it kind of like that? It's a curiosity. It is. And I don't and, have anywhere to display it though. To me, well, it's, to me, something's not really a collection if it's not curated and put on display. See now that when I was looking for this house, this, this, this house that I'm living in, mm-hmm. I had somewhat a vision that I was going to have a wall of shelves and on it, I was going to have an Atari six, uh, 2600 arranged artfully. I was going oh. to have my, I was going to have my, uh, my Apple, my Mac classic two, but it was going to be on the shelf and Merlin, yeah. it was going to be on. Of course. And the screen was going to be flickering with some flying kind of, toasters. Yeah. Cool flying t- <laughs> toasters. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then that would, that would make me so happy. Right. <laughs> right. And over here, I was going to have this little, you know, this little thing from the post-war and my, and my uh, 1952 radio was going to be on and playing jazz softly. And it, and walking into my house, you were going to be transported to the coolest place you'd ever been. Mm-hmm. And I I have those things. I have my Mac Classic Two in a box. It has the original mouse, and it's covered with Rainier beer stickers. But it's there. And I when I moved into the house, I I looked around and I was like, what about the shelves? And they were going to have cowboy boots on them, and it was going to look like a catalog trying to look like a magazine. Yes. Uh, but it becomes like a person, like a, I mean, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but it's a little bit like a personal museum. A personal museum. It's got a wing. You're in. You're in the the beep boop beep boop cool tech wing. Yeah. Remember. Mm-hmm. It's remember. Remember that. Remember this. Remember. Yeah. Laughter. And I and I, I schlep these boxes and these boxes go on top of boxes and yes. I have a you know I have a copy of the of German Rolling Stone where it was like long vintage is shagen zingen zang. And you know, yeah, like, that's for me now. <laughs> every single one of every time I have a thing, I have a, I have a pin and it, and it goes in a box and then the box gets stacked on a box. Yeah. 
and I have found better boxes and I have gotten rid of so many things, but like every time I think, oh, now I'm cutting to the bone. It's not anywhere close to the bone. I haven't even started shaving my mustache. Oh dear. Let alone cutting to the bone. Yes. And, ah, I'm looking at a wall right now. Mm -hmm. Looking at a wall here. Here's the wall. I have, uh, there's a bunch of cigar boxes. I cannot lie that are full of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a jug from an Ohio potting company from 18, whichever that I've, I've dug up in a hole. There are a bunch of, Oh, I, uh, I, I have a whole collection of metal I found on the streets. See, there you go. Do you have playing cards you've found on the streets? Yes. I had a goal at one point of trying to create an entire deck from 52 different decks of cards. How did you, how did you fare? How far did you get? I don't know. I don't know where they're probably in a box somewhere, Yeah, yeah. but I know exactly what you mean. Like I, 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 it's a weird thing that I do, but like if I see like a cool looking, cool looking screw or a drain pipe or something, yep. or uh, yep. a lead, lead sinker for fishing, I, I just put a lead sinker in a, in a few minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, I carried around. Check that out. It's a lead sinker. What are you doing? Look at that lead sinker. Just in case I ever decide. Why are you putting garbage in bins? I'm gonna put a hook it to a spinner, and I'm gonna go getting organized. Yeah. I uh, I used to carry around playing cards that I found on the street. I found a playing card one time that I think had a bullet hole in it. That I felt like I carried around as a as a good luck charm. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. never got anywhere close to putting together a deck, but. You know, I know for a fact in a box somewhere I've got, and they'd all been run over by cars. Well, so when a you dozen find times. a duplicate, like I used to collect chick publications, and now sure. my kid collects chick publications. And it's like, I have oh, great, another there. copy of High There. Like everybody's got fifty <laughs> copies of High There because that's the one that weirdos buy in bulk to leave instead of a tip. Right, Hi There. But like, there's something so depressing about finding a playing card that you already have. It's a bummer. Oh, because you see it and you're like, oh, well, I already got, yeah, I already got the, you know, uh, queen of hearts or whatever. You know, yeah. I found the ace of spades <gasps> outside. That somebody was probably killed right there. I found it in Athens, Georgia. Robert Duvall. And I said, this is significant. Like That feels important, John. Yeah. And boy, I carried it for a long time. Like, no, no, no. That's the ace of spades from Athens, Georgia. Like that's, um, Power lines have floaters. Do you not understand what I'm saying right now? Hmm. And I carried it and I think it's in a box and I don't know where. I don't know. Uh, see, that's now there, there you go. How many mugs do I have that have lingo from the CB craze of the 1970s? Three. I do have three. You're exactly right. Well oh, done. That's good. That's a good amount. Yeah. It's exactly the right amount. Except you have one for each of your friends. <laughs> you know, what you've hit on hmm. is exactly. What the Russian army does not know. Oh, spill it, sister. You know what I mean? They don't know how to put things in boxes and put oh, boxes on top God. of boxes and put boxes on top of boxes. And everybody keeps going, oh, see, this is, a, they're just fooling you. This is all, they're gaslighting you to seem incompetent. And you're like, mm. I don't know, man, that's, that's a lot of shit going down to just pretend to seem incompetent. What is mm. that in service of? I don't think they're pretending. I don't either. <clears throat> Have you been doing that? Have you been following the logistics nerds? Not as much as I had. I'm kind of off Ukraine because it was just making me, if I'm being honest, it was making me too sad. But um, no, but like, you know, we talked about the, the 40 mile single line yeah. of trucks that they couldn't keep fueled. But like, it's just that 
I don't know. I watch documentaries, but I don't know a lot about actually conducting a war. But like once you scratch anywhere beyond the surface of anybody who's like a, you know, an officer who's done war things, they all say the same thing. Like we, we might close this war out with weaponry, you know, men and machinery, but like, we're not going to get anywhere close to that without good supply lines. Um, and without a, without a plan, a redundant plan with redundancies for keeping, well, that's, well, that's food or boots. Again, look at the Nazis, man. Like don't wear your summer uniform if you're marching into trying to march to Moscow. You know, but yeah, no, I, tell me, tell me more. Cause I'm fascinated by this. It really does. I get the part about how Mr. Putin, nobody tells Mr. Putin bad news. What I don't get is the count currently nine generals that are dead. Yeah. I think yeah, eight ten, or nine. 10 stars, eight generals, maybe something like that. But like a lot, a lot of their, again, that's quite a subterfuge, but like it really, <laughs> a lot of it really does seem to come down to a disconnect in how you would conduct even the war they thought would take a couple of weeks. Even, that didn't work, and that was a month and a half ago, two, almost two months ago. I what think do you, when I was... Latest, give, me, give me the dope. What, what, give, me, give me some good, uh, some good anecdotes. Well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to learn from the war in Ukraine for, for my own and apply the lessons to my own life. Lessons. Because when I was young and I would meet a, 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 a service person, someone who had served or was currently serving in the armed forces, mm -hmm. of course I would say, what did you do? What do you do? And anybody that was like, oh, well, I work in supply or I <clears throat> drive a truck or There's I- There's way more Sergeant Zale, Sergeant Zale than there are Generals Patton. Yeah, right. And any, but, but I would, I had this, you know, because you're 20 or, or 15. Yeah. I had this sort of, uh, this idea that everyone was Sergeant Rock and that when I heard somebody was part of the supply chain or part of the administration, I was always disappointed, like, oh, that's too bad. So what you were in Vietnam, but you never left Quezon or you mm. never left whatever the office. And I would well, have that, done a lot of work and never left Kansas. Never left Kansas. I just, what was that? Fort, uh, was it Leaven, Leaven Leavenworth, Fort yeah. Leavenworth, Kansas. Yeah. But, you know, my dad flew supply planes in World War II, and I was always a little bit disappointed. And I think maybe he was, too, because when because George Herbert Walker Bush flew a dive bomber and John F. Kennedy swam across the ocean pulling his PT-109 by his teeth. Yeah. And... <laughs> and I, I always was like, he did so, pretty good for a guy with absence disease. <laughs> he did. He did really good. Not to be ableist. No, not at but, all. But, uh, but you know, my, he is so my Irish dad, though, so he's Irish. He was Irish or mm, is he, is he, was he? Oh, huh. My dad had his stories from the war. He always found the stories that he told were always about the high adventure, but really it was. He, his job was it was a job a methodical job you know you fly these things in you drop them off you come back you get more things you take them back out and as i've gotten older i've gotten more and more interested in the the logistics mm -hmm. and when i went to africa with my friend uh lieutenant colonel mike martin or Mar mike martin uh, retired matt martin lieutenant colonel matt martin retired mike matt mark yeah. Uh, they're all, it's just very confusing. Pick, pick a lane. Uh, 
Matt Martin was very, uh, uh, he, he explained to me through the whole process that almost all, uh, officers in the military are engaged in a process of moving pallets of bottled water from this place to that place. Mm-hmm. And over the course of their whole careers, you know, at first when they're a lieutenant, they're moving the, a pallet with, you know, 50 pallets with uh, bottled water. And by the time they're a, a major, they're moving 500,000 pallets of bottled water. Oh, you're responsible for more bottles and more pallets. Yeah. And you got to get the pallets from further away and you got to get them, you know, dispersed all these different places. Which is not unvaluable work at all. It's, inc- it's incredible. As you're saying, you can't do the, you can't do the armying without bottled water. And he said that, you know, the confusing part about it is uh, that at a certain point we expect these people who are really good at moving things around to make more complicated decisions. And that's where the, at least in the U S military, it's like strategic in the way that a a civilian like me would think of it in terms of like deciding how we should lead or respond in order to achieve a a war ish goal. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it, it, it becomes a thing where you're, you're, it's very satisfying to get things done and check which is, them off which the list. Which is today a very strangely Silicon Valley problem of like, just because you're, you, you hired people who are good at making a battery doesn't mean you should on Twitter. Right. And, and I think you see that a lot in, in business now. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, uh, my lady friend is, is, uh, is job searching right now. And she's her, doing a lot of like project management stuff, right? Well, and, like and you know, she's, company. she, yeah, she's, uh, she's in marketing, but in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Oh, and right, so, you know, they're always her, her job from a million years ago, I guess. Yeah. Right. But she, she's, they're always shipping products that are not products, right? There's nothing tangible. It's the, it's, it's more oh, are products. they shipping solutions, John? They're shipping solutions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it feels, and you and I've talked about this a lot, like modern business is. The first idea was let's start a business. And then the second idea was let's think of something that our business does. Oh or yeah. Like, I mean, I it's know, like it, a professional carpetbagger. Seems like a little bit of a switcheroo, mm-hmm. but what, what Matt Martin kind of effectively explained to me was that, uh, that the, 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 the beauty of being in the army is that you have, uh, you have goals that are knowable and you can execute on those goals. And then at the end, the goals are, then you have, you have accomplished the goal and that is, that's how you gain in rank. And that's how it's very satisfying. It's very, it makes you feel very accomplished. You Mm -hmm. can do very complicated things, but then at a certain point, you, you walk through the membrane and the goal becomes some statecraft or some global, you know, now you're interacting with people that have uh, tribal rivalries that are 700 years old. And all of a sudden, you you step out of this like goal oriented universe. Oh, and then that's the, you realize too late you brought a knife to a tribe fight. Yeah, that's right. Like there, not only is there no goal you can achieve, there are no goals here or yeah, whatever no your nails goals for are. You to hammer. Yeah, everyone's laughing. But what what the war in Ukraine has pointed out is that all the logistics stuff that I used to laugh at about about the American military, like, oh, what did you, you spent 15 years in the military and you just moved boxes. Mm-hmm. Now you realize that's what the Russians weren't doing. They were not systematizing their box moving right. and their box stacking. And 
now it seems like that's the that's the point of the spear, the the sharp but, point but, of the spear. But also, like it's worth mentioning something obvious here. It's obvious to me and worth mentioning to me is that unlike something like I don't know, I guess a good example would be weather, or maybe it's morale or something. But weather weather's a good one where you don't control the weather, and a change in the weather could change the conditions that make you sort of revisit your strategy. The things that you're talking about here, none of those will get better on their own, and they will, in fact, get a lot worse and be both cumulative and multivariate in their effects. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 again, I realize this is obvious, but this is the kind of thing that was not obvious to me when I was a kid and went, oh, did you shoot a machine gun? you know, in yeah. Da Nang or whatever. And it's like, well, well, no, like I made sure that like when it was time for there to be machine guns, there would be the right amount to the right place. You see this during stuff like hurricane relief, where it's like, you see when it's done well, you see when it's done poorly. And you can see like these military-ish guys, like that guy, uh, General Honoré or whatever, like have this uncanny ability to understand how to manage people, deploy resources, and and stay in front of a problem that has been well-defined but could change. And that, to me, I mean, nothing against the people who did shoot the machine guns, but that's miraculous to me. The mind that it takes to, to manage other people and that you really rely on this. I, I mentioned this briefly a few months ago, but I've been thinking about it so much, how in business and in the military, it is like a chess game in the sense that, let's just say that pawn represents everybody who moves a box in Texas. Well, I need to know that everybody. Uh, I don't. I need. I don't want my pawn to suddenly turn into a, a Bazooka Joe comic. Like that always needs to be a pawn that I can deploy. So those all need to be compartmentalized. You know, yes sir, no sir, no excuse sir. Your problem never leaves the store. You take care of this, and you start to really appreciate. Well, there's you know, there's the army way and every other way. Like that's the way we do it, and nobody ever doubts that this, it may not be the best way, but it's our way. This is how we do it, and I think that is miraculous. It's. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's maybe it's a, a, the kind of thing like you get like me or my grandpa where you're like, ah, oh, I wonder, wonder what it costs to bring all that prime rib to Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, where you're like, yeah. some, somebody does that every day. Yeah. 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 That's the great thing about going and just parking your car down at the port and watching yes. for, for a couple of hours where you're like, whoa, it just keeps coming. What is it all? You're it's learning all from stuff. Ukraine, and and so you've given a, like a general sketch of that. Have you oh, so found here's ways what I'm to doing. hook that up yet to your life? Well, yeah. So what I'm realizing is that the way I manage my own life is as if I was uh, Colonel Bo Greitz, and I was in charge of all of of the vision of the military. In other words, I thought that being a successful grown up man my whole life was to be an effective combat team and that everybody that was moving uh, uh, boxes around the world were a bunch of pencil-pushing uh, pencil necks. Pen they, were, they were pencil, pencil. Pencil, pencil men. They were pencil men. Right, and but they, they, with the, impl the implication being that they were not up to it. They didn't have the, as they say, uh, the right stuff. They didn't have the right stuff. To be a bird colonel. And who's so he's going to send machine guns to people. Right. There's a part of me that feels like I'm the Russian army because <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of corruption in me, <laughs> right? There's a yes. lot of skimming of resources. Uh, there's, there's a somewhat, a lot of 
uh, sending false reports up the chain. Get get a little distracted sometimes, <laughs> right? Like like sometimes sometimes when the president of of John Roderick wants a report, he gets a kind of a he gets a report that eliminates some of the variables, just because he you know he, he doesn't want to be distracted. And what happens is that long tail that would support a functioning uh, enterprise gets neglected. The boxes get, you know, get pushed over to the side. Nobody's rotating the tires because it's not the glamorous work. It's not the, right. you know. And just, and, just to correct, just to be, be clear here about what I was saying, haha, bird colonel. Well, I mean, I don't know a ton about how any uh, field of the military works, but but it's, it isn't that you move up in ranks by being a good fighter per se. It's you're good at doing whatever your job is, whether that's administering a hospital or doing accounting or dealing with, you know, training or whatever it is. Like, so that person's bird is just as good as the other guy's bird. Oh, this was another thing that Matt Martin taught me. Hmm. He said the reason that you're, nobody in the Army or the Air Force or the Navy or the Marines gets a job and keeps it for 15 years. That's the opposite of that. Huh. You, you get a job, you do it for a year, and then they move you to a different job. And I was like, well, that seems dumb because wouldn't a person right when they got good at doing that job, why, why would you move? And he says, because the point is not the person, the point is the job and everybody oh, wow should be able to do the job, right? And so I see. We we don't want you to be the only guy who knows where the forms are. Right. Right? It's a it's a way of eliminating that problem. Wow. Like, oh no, sorry, we have to talk to to Sergeant so and so because he's the only one who knows where the keys are. Mm -hmm. It's like, nope. Everybody keeps moving. And then and what happens is everybody can do every job. And the person at that particular rank, you can slot them in anywhere because at that rank, you know they can do these jobs, and so you can put them over here. And and they demonstrated they've gotten that far up. I bet, by and large, they've shown that they can work with other people, not just manage right. other people, but like where my wife works, it's very important that people be collegial. And like the more you move up, the more collegial you need to be. That doesn't mean you can never do or say anything controversial, but it does mean you have to do and say controversial things in a collegial way, which is a point completely lost on, I think, a lot of folks. Right. And I think in the military, every time there's a, there's a bump in rank, every time you go up, mm -hmm. like only one in five people makes the jump. Oh, there, so it becomes like a funnel. Yeah. There are all mm -hmm. these captains, but only some of them become majors. And, and so you get stopped at the level of your incompetency. Yeah. Right. Like you just, you hit there and then you didn't you, get you promoted. Become, uh, ma major Peter. That's yeah. <laughs> And you have, and then you have to make the choice. Like Stupid. the army will let you stay at a, at, at captain up until you're 39 years old or something, you know, they'll like, you can get passed over promotion a bunch of times and just stay there as captain. But at a certain point, they're going to say, now you're too old to be a captain. Yeah. You never got promoted to a major and you're too old to be a captain. If it was going to happen, it would have happened. Right. And I think what, what. Matt was at the level of like, there are a lot of Lieutenant colonels, not a lot, but Lieutenant Colonel is a thing in the, in the services where you get there and you're in command. Mm -hmm. Cause when but, you're, cause if you become a full bird Colonel, you're a heartbeat away from being a general in some right. you're, ways. You're a big shot. And I think the funnel really narrows between Lieutenant yeah. Colonel and Colonel. Yeah, yeah. 
And there are a lot of really good lieutenant colonels. Like they're not, these aren't the people that are like, Oh, sorry. Couldn't make Colonel. It's like, no, no, no. The, now the, now you've got to choose. Now you have a wealth of people to choose from. And it's the, it's the ones that can give really bad news in a congenial way. Right. Maybe. So it's like, you're really good at what you do, but there's that, there's that little thing. And sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that, but, but like this guy maybe really has a winning smile. I mean, I don't know what it is, but at that level, when the funnel gets narrow, like not many people get, get their first star. Right. And they have to be good. And I have been so contemptuous, contemptuous. And you've heard it from me for a decade, contemptuous of logistics, not because I didn't love watching logistics, but internally, like I think most people are like that, John, the response from most people is, uh, basically these three words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, hang on. Like it actually is kind of a big deal how we plan to pack the car when we go camping. We once had a camping trip that we had to cancel because, and this is, mm, this is, it was a lot of people's fault, but in the end it was my fault because I was the bird kernel of packing. We Did you tie fit. the dog to the back bumper? Did you tie grandma's dog to the back bumper? <laughs> am <laughs> I going to eat or am I going to starve to death? <laughs> Can I help you with that, please? Um, the, <laughs> that was about the best, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, 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 uh, the, uh, wait, what were we saying? Bird Colonel, Bur- uh, you, you were saying you camping trip got canceled. Yeah. Because we couldn't fit all of our stuff in. And, and that was, it was very, very Ooh. stressful. You know, I get stressed when I have to travel anywhere, even if it's just to go camping. Long story short, what we eventually learned was, Hey, why are we screwing around trying to fit this into a, a what was it? A 1998 Jetta? Like, why don't we rent like one of those kinds of cars we would never in a million years want to own? Why don't we get a crossover SUV where everything will fit comfortably in here with room to spare? And suddenly now that dad's stress has gone down, everybody's stress goes down and it just, it becomes a lot, a lot more, a lot more pleasant. But you know, just real, real quick in passing then one thing also, and I know that this is said to be a huge problem with what's happening in Russia is the whole, like, well, we can't tell, you know, Putin doesn't want to hear anything. He's scared of people, blah, 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 blah. But like, you also notice this thing that I admire and aspire to, even though I admire it and aspire because I am terrible at it, which is, I don't like bad news. I don't like hearing things that disrupt my plan. I don't like any of that stuff, but boy, is that ever a recipe for disaster? You, so many people who end up being really good leaders only mostly want to hear the bad news and they don't want somebody to tell them. They don't want people to tell them what it is that they think they want to hear. And I think that's true for several reasons, including the obvious one of like, well, I can't operate within the constraints that are on us right now, if I don't know what's happening in, you know, close to real time. But the other way to look at this, and you could look at this in terms of comedy, really, opportunities. You lose so many opportunities if you're operating on old good news. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. including, like in improv, it could be a lot funnier if everybody's there the moment it fell apart and then, like, you make magic out of that. But also as a leader, you might not realize, oh, you know, oh, don't don't tell Putin the weather's changing. Like, well, think about how many opportunities are lost. You see these, these, these poor 90-year-old generals on cable news just champing at the bit about what they would do if they were up against the Russian army. You can see that it's just killing them that they can't just go in there and be good soldiers doing yeah, like yeah. good ordinary soldier stuff. But isn't that kind of part of it though? It's like you have to crave the appearance of new 
potentially not positive news because that is those are each one of those is an opportunity that mustn't be lost. It's not just keeping the general happy. It's that you need up to date factual information in order to capitalize on opportunities. Well, and this is exactly what has been so interesting about this for me and why it's gotten me back lurking on Twitter, not mm -hmm. uh, not commenting, but Good. lurking, mm -hmm. is that my whole life, what I wanted to hear was generals and State Department guys and spooks in, in, uh, in khaki trench coats and people that had the satellite information sitting on nightly news shows talking about you know, the strategy and Putin's mindset and all of this stuff. That's what I thought this whole thing was about. And what, hmm. and somehow I got linked into this world on Twitter. And I think it's because it's the real, it's, it's what's interesting about this war where I'm listening to command master sergeants talk about the quality of the gasoline that they don't have and saying, do you want to know why this didn't work? Because mm -hmm. they didn't rotate their tires. You didn't, Do, you didn't, your tires lost their plasticity and, and, and uh, you, you blew it. Right. And there's, and that, and there's so many of those people where they're people that are not trying to talk to you about Putin's mindset, the global balance of power. They're just trying to say, this is a supply chain problem. And on paper, it, and from the satellite, it looks like they're undefeatable. But I'm telling you that in 16 hours, they're not going to have any more sandwich meat. And that is actually the problem. And the problem is and nobody's, not, and nobody's telling them. And nobody knows it, right? And Putin doesn't know it. But also, none of the pundits on TV are talking about it. And also, maybe the soldiers don't know. That mm -hmm. there's that tomorrow at sixteen hundred hours there's no more lunch meat and that's did you, the did you end. See the photos of like expired um, MREs. Oh, oh yeah, well, like, like the, two like two years expired MREs. I saw some MREs from nineteen eighty five. <laughs> wow, <They're>, that's <laughs> that's from our vintage. That's when we were really scared of nuclear. <laughs> yeah, they had they had they had real meat in the tins. Mm -hmm. But, but all that <laughs> no, stuff, you know, bullshit. <laughs> and that's, what's so wonderful about these master sergeants or guys that are on that side of the, of the higher story. Up, like warrant officer, like you're, you're still non-commissioned, but you're like one of those guys who's been like a sergeant forever and not because you're incompetent, but because like, you're just really good at that job. Yeah. And people that can look at a thing and go, look, do you see how this is there? Well, that doesn't belong there. This is from a different thing. And somebody welded it on here because they thought that it would do this. And then, and they're people that have enough experience to know why something, why somebody would have done that mm -hmm. and explaining that for them to have gone that far, it means that's the secret. It means that they're already completely out of this supply Right. for them to have done this, for them to have nobody, made this nobody little well, this kind of stuff, unless there's no other choice, unless there's no other choice. And mm -hmm. if they are at that level already, then no matter what it looks like from the satellite and no matter what the analysts say, I can tell you already mm -hmm. that at least this group no longer has any screwdrivers. And I don't, so, so what we don't know yet watching it or what I don't know yet is like, is this true? Right. They're all saying in 22 days. There's no more notebook paper. And I'm like, wow. First lunch meat? No <laughs> notebook paper? Let me let me set the egg timer for 22 days. Get I really me want to on the blower. <laughs> Get me lunch meat. Oh, where's my right, notebook? There's no, we've got notebook paper still. 
and I <laughs> you call this pastrami? <laughs> I'm thrilled to see not only the Russian army fall apart, yeah, but in some ways the whole Western intelligence strategy, like the 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 whole uh, <laughs> t- ten layer cake of what we think of as the d- like geopolitics and war analysts. Does that does that is that um, partly? Well, I don't know if it's a leading question or a dumb question, but like for example, everybody, including the U.S., was saying, "Hey, look, this is going to be a cakewalk for Russia. They're gonna they're gonna come in there. We've seen the satellites. They're gonna come in, completely overwhelm these these poor dinglings in Ukraine, and just take over the place. You know, a month on the outside that they'll be in yeah. Kiev in in three weeks or something like that. Is it is it that kind of thing also where it's like, oh, we must have gotten something real wrong. What did we get so wrong? Well, and I think it was even the lieutenant colonels mm-hmm. in the U.S. Army that had been to Ukraine or that had been anywhere were like, <clears throat> actually. For them to be that good, you would you would already need to see this many containers sitting on the tarmac okay. at this airport, and they're not there. So your satellites actually are telling you that they can't do what they're saying because I know how many pallets there need to be of bottled water, and I don't see them. Yeah. So there were people the whole way that were like, actually, it's just, and you know, nobody loved the CIA more than me in 1980. And in by 1990, I was very disappointed in the CIA. And by 2000, boy, I didn't have a good word to say about them. And now I feel like they're they're not doing anything. Like they're they're act. The CIA is actively, uh, like a, a foreign agent almost. Their their intelligence is so bad, and they miss so much because they are uh because they're an institution that just is up its own ass. And a lot of it is they have all the money and they have no accountability because nobody can challenge them because it's all secret. Right. And they're, right. they're just, they failed. And the whole idea of that side of American foreign policy is it's just failed. And it was so cool. And there were so many great movies about it and all the people that had little pens that had little daggers in them and, and stuff on your, on your umbrella. Mm-hmm. And it's all just terrible. It's just not, it's not working. And it seems like I, such a psychotic organization sometimes. And that's not, that's not even just the like make Castro's beard fall out kind of stuff, but like, it's just, it feels like the, it is, feels like such a psychotic organization. Well, like the NSA was, is built at least, I, at least I think around the idea that they are monitoring every single cell phone conversation in the world looking for somebody to say Castro's beard. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to be like, and now we're going to, you know, what are they saying about Castro's beard? When it turns out in this war, <laughs> it's George just smiley over to shoot a blow dart out of his yeah, umbrella. Shoot, right. And like, <laughs> like, like that's what information is. And that's what data. And that's what, that's what intelligence is. And in Ukraine, it's just, you know, the Russians just, uh, were using cell phones. Or yes, or walkie-talkies they got at the well, drugstore, and, and they blew up the three G towers that would have let them use their secure communications. And it and it turns that out that thing we're like, are you guys talking to each other? You read the thing, right? Where the where that the that forty mile long convoy was just the, the Ukrainians had gotten their walkie-talkies and were calling the guy and saying like, convoy's on its way. It'll be here. You know, it's six hours. It's going to be there. But the, and, you did Ukrainian prank calls. 
Yeah. And the Russians, the Russians at the airport outside of Kiev were like, oh, okay, well, let, let, just hold on. The guy said it's going to be here in eight hours. So like, just hold your, hold ground. And the question about uh, your uh, refrigerator, <laughs> is it running? It's exactly that. And meanwhile, the Ukrainians are like throwing Molotov cocktails at the trucks and they're like, no, 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 it'll be there tomorrow. I'm sorry. We, we just got a little hung up. We'll be there tomorrow. And they kept pranking them. That's ridiculous. And they never rerouted the convoy because on both sides, they were being told, oh, no, 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 we got this. Don't worry. Just give us but, another but six like, wasn't hours. There also, there's like first principles, Clarice. Wasn't, isn't there also this thing? I keep hearing this and I don't know how we would ever find out whether this is true, but I've heard it said that. A lot of at least the initial forces that were being sent into Ukraine were told it was a training mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that true? It's just a training mission. Uh, well, no, they were told it was a training mission right up until the day they crossed into Ukraine, and then they were told that they were going over there to be um, to use a to, military term. Yeah. It's actually for realsies. It's for realsies, but it's not a. They're going to the Ukrainians are going to welcome us with open arms because they are our brothers. That's true. And this is this this is the State Department thing too, right? The the idea that the idea that just because someone in Alabama and someone in Ohio speak the same language nominally, oh right? That the people in Alabama are going to welcome the people of Ohio coming down yes. and liberating them from their Alabama government, and that is I don't think how it would play out. I, we have some listeners in Alabama. I hear from them periodically. Yeah, uh, because they figure out how to how okay. to get their computer. Okay, I I've got <laughs> I've got people there. So be careful. And I know for a fact that no one in Ohio wants to have uh, uh, like an Alabama army come in, right. come into to downtown Columbus and start telling them how to make barbecue. Well, let's bring it back to San Francisco. Would would people in the outer sunset want this the the government of of uh, the Castro coming in, mm -hmm. and vice versa. No, they. I mean, then that's so. we're talking about three, two and a half, three miles apart. I mean, it goes, it goes for everything. It's just, it's just, you know what it is, John. It's just this is. I'm so simple. I'm such a basic person in so many ways. It's just hard for me to believe, especially amidst years and years and years of conspiracy theories moving from left wing dinglings to right wing dinglings and back. Like it's just so crazy to me that it, it appears to be what it seems, which is just, just, just so many levels of so many, so many, um, what, as they say, uh, in the UK and uh, so many own goals, like so many things where like, even just the basic stuff that they would teach you, you know, in officer candidate school or whatever, the basic stuff about like running the shop, it seems to be falling apart on every level. And it's bizarre. And I think you connecting it to conspiracy theories is exactly what I'm doing too, because I've always been against conspiracy theories for the most part, because I've always felt like people are not smart enough to pull most conspiracy off. Conspiracy theorists have never, obviously never managed a project. Right. Have never had five people that they just tried to get to do one thing. Try and get two people to have a call at the same time. Trying to get, trying to get somebody from, uh, from Columbus and somebody from Alabama to agree on a barbecue recipe. Oh boy. You can't do it. And all they agree is no mustard. <laughs> but what we've, what we find looking at this is Keep like, it low country. <laughs> Stash if, it. <laughs> if the whole world is being run by a global cabal of, <sighs> of, you know, uh, bankers and, and tech, uh, billionaires, how in the hell can this entire thing be down to 
the number of times they've rotated the tires on their trucks. It's just, it's always that simple. It's always down to yes. just that people are dumb and whether they maintain their truck or not is the deciding factor. And there's nobody in charge and the people that are in charge have no idea. They're just trying to do, they're just trying to move these pallets from here to there because they always got a ribbon when they did it before. And Mm -hmm. now somebody's like, okay, great. Well, you're in charge now. And they're like, please just give me some pallets to move. Please, please, please. I got so many ribbons. Look at all the ribbons. Like a border collie. Yeah. And everybody's like that. Mm -hmm. It's all like that. You know, my, my lady's interviewing for jobs. She's a high level executive. And as far as I can tell, when I debrief her at the end of all these job interviews, nobody knows anything, you know, like (laughs) nobody Mm -hmm. knows. How did it really you, is quite shocking sometimes. It's astonishing. You know, the, I believe it was maybe one of his characters, but Kurt Vonnegut, who ver- first said, uh, as far as I remember, anybody who can't explain what they do for a living to a 10-year-old is a charlatan. <laughs> and there, there's so many people you run into where, like, you're like, hey, you know, pop quiz, hot shot. Like, you know, what's the second most difficult thing about your job? You know, like, what, what is it that you, what is it, what is it that you say you do here? <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, it, it is, it's, it, it, it is, it is, it is weird. And I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to get out of the business of, you know, prognosticating. And, uh, I don't know, even as I move into the phase of life where I'd like to think I'm wise, something I realized in the last year or two that's become a tent pole for me, and it doesn't make me happy to say this, but it does make me feel sane to realize this, is that whenever you don't or can't currently understand someone's motivation, it almost always comes down to fear, money, or both. That, and a lot, really, I mean, you know, the thing is for a lot of people, it's, it's, it really is money. It's like, no, I can't come to your party, but I don't want to tell you it's because I can't afford two bus fares that day. Mm. Right. Or, but like fear, like in that case, the fear of somebody's going to ask me to do something besides fill out the form, again, a little bit like office space, I guess, to fill out the form for this particular kind of pallet. We didn't tell me you were changing the pallet form, and now that's fear because loss of all the fears that we have, loss of um, respect or loss of admiration or just that, that feeling of like being the only person who's not in on what's happening. Money or fear, fear and money. And like the, it's, I think if, you, if one were to allow that as a thought experiment, a thought technology for a while, it is shocking sometimes. I'm not, I'm not trying to be reductive because money can mean lots of things and fear can mean lots of things. They both imply status or status is implied by both of them. But you know what I mean? If you, if you live in a perpetual state of fear, then you're not going to want new information. And if you're in this privation mentality about losing, you know, your, your, your standing in the community, that's going to lead to a lot of weird decisions too. And Everybody's got their own version of that, but that's often really what it comes down to, I think. And the, and the other thing is like just plain dumbness. <laughs> We're all so dumb. We're and really dumb. When I think about what, talk about Vonnegut, you remember the Kilgore Trout mm-hmm. short story where the two pieces of yeast were talking and they were like debating about what the meaning of life is and what their purpose is and uh, and uh, meanwhile, they were eating sugar and then they suffocated in their own shit. And neither of them ever realized that they were making champagne. So it goes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the bubbles and the, 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 the yeast died. So it goes. Yeah. Or like, you know, again, the, 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 the way overquoted David Foster Wallace uh, address, you know, when the one fish 
says to the other, how, how, how how's the water today? And the second fish goes, what's water? Mm-hmm. And, and this is water is the thing that, that your aunt is sending to everyone. <laughs> if you find more lessons from this, I hope you'll continue to share them. I have a lot to learn, John. I'm, I'm thinking about it all the time and, and I don't know how to exactly, I have to dismantle a lot of, not faith in institutions, but faith in institution and, and in dismantling it, I'm also dismantling my own like, um, kind of arrogant, smug relationship to institution, right? Like I've always Mm. been counter institutional, but that alone requires (laughs) that you believe in the institution. That's that's a, that's an insightful thing to realize. It's absolutely true. It's, uh, it is a form of, uh, probably not privilege, but it's definitely a form of like societal confidence that this is a thing like people were saying starting roughly, let's say around January of 2017, I, I, I just want to, I want to go back to not feeling like I have to follow the news every single day because it has become an existential threat to me. I liked it better when things were boring and I didn't have to know things about how Congress worked, which might not be the most enlightened thing in the world to say, but boy, was that ever a familiar feeling. Well, and the similar I one, really don't want to be the smartest one in the room ever. Like when I, when you're on social media, you're like, wow, the world is really fucked up. Yeah. And then you get off that's social the, media. That's the stock and trade. And you're like, oh wait, social media is fucked up. Oh yeah. But you can't know it if it's your world, right? You're in it and you're like, oh man, everything's fucked up. And then I mean, I, I stepped away from it for a year and realized, oh no, 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 no. 80% of that is just in that closed system. And, and to just step out of it, it all goes away. It just disappears because you're not hearing those voices. This has been a theme on Dubai Friday for a year now is that at least, which is like Twitter's only real because people thinks it, think it's real. And that's what makes it real. Yeah, you go in there and you pour your blood into it, and then you're like, "Well, all my blood is here. How the hell can it not be real?" Well, and ditto. Like I had a realization watching all these, like you know, Theranos and Nexium and all these weird, you know, cult documentaries and and dramatizations. And it's like the thing is, the more skin you have in the game, the more you need that fabulous to be real. Yeah, and for what they say to be true, because. At that point, you have so much skin in the game. You have so much in the case of, like, for example, with um, the Anna Delvey story. Uh, you know, that woman, Rachel, who ends up charging five figures on her Vanity Fair credit card because, and then hoping that Anna will pay her back. And it's like, well, at that point, she's so mega fucked that the last thing in the world that she needs is for Anna Delvey to not actually be a German heiress because that would <laughs> end her because <clears throat> she made so many poor decisions that brought her up to that point. And this, this goes for lots of stuff. It goes for multi-level marketing. It goes for so many different things where like, it really is just your force of will that keeps this real and that keeps it real for other people too, until it does eventually start to fall apart. And you think about then you apply that to <clears throat> Aldrich Ames or is that the spy. Yeah. The FBI guy? spy that was a C that was a KGB guy. And all uh-huh. these guys that were like, oh, for all these years, they've been giving away our agents phone numbers and all these, you know, like 15 CIA agents died because Aldrich Ames put a piece of bubble gum under a park bench in, in, uh, in Washington, DC. And now it turns out that actually defeating the Russians is just about putting, is just about letting the air out of their tires. 
and it's that Literally. easy. <laughs> and all of the all of the ICBMs that yeah. are sitting in silos out in Iowa, you know, still like fueled and ready to go. Like it turns out, actually, all all that you needed to do was uh, was like key their car, and they come out and they're like, "Oh no, that's all." You know, remember that video of Boris Yeltsin being drunk and dancing? Remember that? He's I out do. there. He's really getting into it, and he's kind of doing that Trump double hand job gesture that he does, yeah. like like he's uh, doing some middle aisle compression on two fellas. And uh -huh. he did, but he was just he's just drunk as hell. There's some nice compilations of that. The that, that, was, of, that would that would be what that would be ninety eight ninety nine. Putin came in in ninety nine, right? Uh, two thousand, yeah, two thousand, yeah. That picture of Brezhnev with the swimming cap on, and he's in a floaty, and there are, he's like in like in an inner tube or something in a swimming pool, and there are two KGB agents on either side of him keeping him from sinking. Oh. And you're like, <laughs> oh. you're like, wow! I looked at that picture so many times trying to figure out how the Russian bear was gonna was gonna respond to, you know, to, to Castro's beard. And it just turns out we're all just making champagne. We're all just, we're all just, <laughs> we're just fat men floating in different pools. <laughs>